Welcome to Stripped Money Conversations. Welcome to a place where anybody can learn or talk about money. Whether you're young or whether you're old. Whether you're married to the love of your life or even if you're married to your career. Whether you have kids, are planning to have kids or even if you're one of those people who just prefers pets. Whether you're established or just entering the working world, welcome to a place where our conversations are not based on your bank balance, no, 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 but they're based on your unique needs and ambitions. I am your host, Lungile Mashiko. Remember that this show does not provide financial advice. These are just conversations between me and my guests, but I'd like to invite you on the journey so you and I can learn together. We're always talking about money on the show, but more attention has to be given to how we can earn more money, how we can increase our earnings in order to reach our financial objectives, whether it's for investing, killing off debt, and even due to our increased life requirements. And often this means that you may need to have that conversation with your employer about money. This conversation is often not an easy one to have. So joining me today is Fiona Martin. Fiona is an award-winning organizational psychologist, career coach, and thought leader in the field of talent management and career development. She is also the founder and managing director of Talent Meridian, a consulting practice. In addition, Fiona has worked with employability programs across Africa, developing services that facilitated workplace transitions for graduates and young professionals. She's so passionate about helping people transition to gainful employment, enhance their employability, and navigate various career intersections. And I've seen this on her social media platforms. Doesn't she just sound amazing? Um, I came across Fiona when I started my journey as the finance contributor on the morning show on ETV, where she's the career contributor, and I absolutely loved everything that she has to say. So, Fiona... Welcome to Stripped Money Conversations. I'm so pleased to have you on the show today. Thank you so much, Alungile, for having me. And yeah, I'm glad that we finally got the opportunity to sit and have this wonderful conversation. Awesome. Before we kick off, what does a day in the life of a career coach look like? What does it mean? (laughs) It's funny you should ask that question. I um, a few days ago, I did this Instagram takeover for, I guess, one of my industry peers. So he runs a Facebook page mostly for students or aspiring students uh, within psychology. So he had just different psychologists, uh, psychologists from different categories come and share a day in their life. So I'm, I'm laughing and giggling that you're asking me the same question because it li- likely it's still fresh in my mind. But typically, uh, the work that I do, right, and the thing about our industry with organizational psychologists is that we apply ourselves in many different areas in the workplace. So for me in particular, I specialize within talent management and career development. So a day in my life uh, typically would include doing career counseling or career coaching with individuals that come to my practice. And this are these are people from across the career lifespan. So anything from high school learners who are trying to make career decisions all the way up to executives and everyone else in between who has a career-related challenge or career-related intersection that, uh, sorry, career-related intersection that they want to navigate. So that's the individual level work that I do. 
I also have product uh, that I work on. So recently I launched my uh, online uh, platform or my e-learning, so to speak. So I've been also very busy with that just to make sure that I don't have to be physically uh, available for every workshop. And in fact, uh, there are a good number of people every time I run a workshop that can't make that particular time. So I'm quite excited, I guess, with technology as an enabler as well, that I'm able to put quite a lot of my product you know, on demand, so to speak. And I also do, so I guess what people see a little bit less on my social media is I do, majority of my work is in corporate consulting and advisory. So this pretty much means I help organizations within the talent management space. So it's various interventions. So in some instances, they want to maybe create an accelerator program so that they can build a pipeline of leaders, or it could be lead, running leadership development programs um, so that companies have leaders that are, of course, equipped to take their vision forward. It could be, you know, helping people or helping managers have career conversations. So I design a lot of programs, interventions, workshops, uh, processes, uh, systems, you know, for lack of a better word, that just help corporates, you know, with talent management or career development related aspects. So on any given day, I am usually doing a mix of corporate work, developing workshops, developing solutions, running workshops, consulting, advising, and of course, you know, dealing with individuals uh, in my practice. Do you sleep? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good question, actually. Uh, no, I, so my hours, I, I work very long hours and also because I'm a mom. So in between that, I have like, you know, my, my kiddies to, to attend to. But yeah, ultimately, I, I somehow, my energy comes alive at night. Uh, so I find myself that, you know, when the world is asleep, that's when suddenly my brain I, I switches on. And I think working from home has really been a blessing in disguise mm. because then it allows me to almost structure my time, you know, without having to wake up at five o'clock and, you know, drive to the office, uh, et cetera. So I've actually found that it allows me to structure my day in a more flexible manner because I don't have, you know, those early morning commitments of driving to the office and sitting in traffic, et cetera. Yeah, you're just exactly like me. I'm a night owl. I do my best work at night. Um, But let's kick off this conversation and maybe let's start off um, before somebody's hired. Uh, When you're in that recruitment process, you're often asked for your current pay slip when applying for a new job. How does a person deal with the expectation to submit that? I know I personally find it not as not a, uh, I don't think it's a fair process. So maybe you can tell us why it is done and how a person can negotiate that conversation. Yes, so really good question. Unfortunately, you know, particularly within South Africa, we don't have a lot of transparency around pay grades or pay scales or what Mm -hmm. is on offer, right? So even before you get into an organization. And I truly believe that it significantly contributes, uh, you know, to to different pay parity. It actually helps to maintain pay parities. And people are paid sometimes based on your gender, your race, what you were previously paid, et cetera, not on the actual job. And of course, for majority of us, we will never know. I think for those of us who've been in the workplace for a while, most of us, for, the, for organizations that you work for, there isn't a lot of transparency. And I think it's just a culture that you know, we, we don't have for whatever reason. I'm always envious. I, I remember speaking to a friend of mine that stays in another country who was saying that you know their salaries are fairly transparent. So 
if a job is advertised, whether it's in, I guess, private or public sector, I know public sector here, they're quite, uh, you know, um, they usually do put in the, the, the pay ranges, but within private sector, it's almost like you're negotiating in the dark. Yes. So look, it's not, it's not, of course, every company. So there are instances where, and, you know, and I've had this experience as well when I was a job seeker. So I guess to your question, when a company approaches you with a position, and of course, one of the things that they do in the pre-screening is to see, you know, can we afford you or, or where are you on the pay range? For me, you know, especially because we have uh, large dis- pay disparities between race, between gender, et cetera, especially within South Africa, my starting point is I don't want to talk about what I'm currently earning. I want to talk about my desired salary, right? So when I go into the market and let's say I'm applying for another job, what I'm earning now, right, might or might not be a reflection of the skills that I have. And because in instances where, let's say, for whatever reason, you start on a low salary, maybe you didn't negotiate well, maybe you started as a graduate or as an intern, right? Then it was difficult for you to get a a big internal salary bump. So there are various reasons why people are not earning the amount that they should be earning. So therefore, the practice of companies asking you what are you earning so that they can use that as a baseline for what they offer you, then perpetuates. And it makes it very difficult for a person to correct their salary. So in most instances, and this is always my argument, is if I meet, you know, by the time we get to the job offer and I've met all the you know, criteria, right? So you determine that my skills, my experience, my potential uh, is suitable to fit into this role. Then you should pay me what you budgeted, not pay me based on where I'm coming from. Because at the same time, you have no idea, you know, why perhaps I'm underpaid, for example. In some instances, it could be the industry that you're working on. So yes, it's a very unfair practice. And what I would encourage job seekers is as soon as a recruiter brings up that conversation, which they do quite early on, Yes, it's to probably the them, first thing I, they say. The first thing that, they, and in fact, they'll say to you, "What what is your current salary?" Mm. So my 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 first, um, I guess, you know, pushback or response to that is, "What is on offer? What is your budget?" Right. So I always say to them, "I would prefer to talk about the budget that you have before I disclose my salary, because of course, right? I want to. I would like to know if I get lowballed or not. All right. And you know, that's where, you know, unfortunately." people get bullied. And I, I use the word bullied uh, quite intentionally. And this has happened to me as well. And in fact, it will probably happen to you as a job seeker. Some recruiters, you know, are quite transparent about it, which I, of course, you know, acknowledge. And, you know, that's, I think that that's the best practice and that's what we should be doing. But some organizations will say, sorry, we cannot tell you what the range on offer is. Um, so, you know, we, we can only disclose that, you know, once you're, you know, if you get an offer, you know, which means that if I'm not the final candidate, I'm not going to know. But my argument is, well, let's say for argument's sake, I'm earning 10,000 rands uh, per month and you've budgeted 30,000 rands for that role. So even if you give me, let's say, 20,000 and I'm elated because I've doubled my salary, the fact is they still that, you know, 30,000 that was on the table. And in fact, I'm going to be underpaid or I'm going to be paid less than my peers who are in that same role in that same organization, more so because you found, you know, that I was underpaid. And, you know, your previous salary in many cases is not necessarily, as I said, an indication of your capabilities. So for me, in an instance where they disclose, I, I also feel that job seekers might not feel so done under if they know what's on offer. So if someone says to me, I know if I'm earning 10,000 and someone says to me that our uh, our 
budget is 30,000. You know, you can be guaranteed I'm going to fight tooth and nail if I get any offer that is below that 30,000, because I will say, well, if I miss the qualifications, why are you not paying me what I what you budgeted, right? But because in many cases, we don't have the opportunity to have the visibility. So whatever it is that they offer you, you don't know, you know, if that was the best deal you could have gotten. Is that what other people at that range within the organization that you're doing similar work to uh, are getting? So it's a very precarious one. And, you know, I, I hate to say this, but in many instances, um, companies will then say, or companies or recruiters, depending on which one you're using, will say to you, if you are not able to disclose your pay slip, we unfortunately cannot proceed with you in the recruitment process because it's compulsory. Then in that instance, you're of course put in a corner because now you have to decide between, do I then forfeit this opportunity or do I just disclose my salary? And of course we know with the job market now, yeah. many people don't have the luxury to, to forfeit the opportunity. So they will then end up just disclosing, which of course then puts them at a disadvantage when it comes to negotiating based on what was budgeted. Oh, yeah. So, Fiona, what are some of the money mistakes that people make when they're in the recruitment process? We've talked about, obviously, trying to ascertain that budget in mind um, that they have so that you can know whether what you're going to earn is representative of the industry standard or that company, what that company can afford. But maybe let's say you give them your pay slip at, um, at the first go and then they give you an offer. What money conversations should you be thinking about um, while you interrogate that company's offer? Great question. So I guess starting on the money aspect, because you know, I guess our show is focusing on, on money. Yeah. People have the sentiment that it's ungrateful or it's rude to try and negotiate. Offers are usually made with negotiation room. So most reasonable employers, and I say reasonable because I'll, I'll just touch base on some red flags that you might want to look on, on to, but a reasonable employer is not going to withdraw an offer because you try to negotiate. So I think the first mentality you need to have as a job seeker is I have a right to negotiate and it's appropriate. It's actually acceptable practice, right? It's not mm. taboo. And I know that, you know, because of many other, you know, environmental cultural elements, people feel like, oh, you know, if I ask for more money and also your mentality or your mindset is I have skills, I have experience, you know, I have perhaps all these achievements that I'm bringing to the table. So therefore, it's a fair exchange. You know, you're not a charity case. So don't make it feel or don't feel as if you're asking for something you don't deserve. So in that instance, your posture is going to be, well, you know, do I actually deserve to ask for an extra 20% or maybe for an extra benefit, etc. So your mentality is it's a fair exchange. I am giving them value. And of course, in exchange for that value, I would like to get more money. So for me, that's the first mentality is everything is negotiable as long as you, of course, do it politely and tactfully. So that's an important factor because some people will uh, negotiate in a very aggressive and rude manner. And of course, that is going to you know, have an implication on how that is perceived or seen by the recruiter so, or the employer. So yes, there is such a thing as, you know, bad negotiation etiquette, if I can call it that. But the process of negotiating itself is very acceptable, especially if you do it politely, you do it uh, you know, with enough assertiveness, but at the same time, you know, you're not making threats, you're not being rude, you're not being demeaning, uh, et cetera. Yes. The second point is it's important to do your research, right? And of course, I, I'm going to give you some tactics because you know, in South Africa, I guess, unlike other organizations, it's not always easy to see what are people in your industry earning. So 
there is, you know, you can go and get some publicly available, uh, you know, salary benchmarks. Like I know some professions or some industries do some. Uh, Career Junction has one that uh, I think the last one that they did was probably around 2018. So you might be able to research, right? Maybe look at job descriptions where they have actually disclosed a salary just to get a good idea. If you feel that your desktop research is not really giving you figures that you're comfortable to work with, if you're working with a recruiter, you can also ask them. So if you're working through a recruitment agency, because most recruiters have visibility around salaries, you can say to them, hey, based on someone with my experience, my qualifications, and the roles that I'm applying for, what is the general range? So in many cases, they can give you a ballpark to say, well, you know, at this level of experience, this is what I'm seeing, you know, from the clients that I'm working with. And then um, another very practical and useful one, which I've used myself, is to ask other people in your industry. And what that means is, and of course, it doesn't have to be someone that's doing exactly the same thing as you with exactly the same experience, right? But sometimes you might say, okay, this person has more or less the same experience as me. Maybe you're in a similar industry or you're in comparable industry or comparable roles. And the question that you will ask them, so you're of course not going to say, how much are you earning? Because that's a quite an invasive question uh, to ask someone. But what I generally do is find two or three people, right? So don't only ask one person, but as, in fact, as many as you can, that, that's always ideal. And not the only people that are at your level. So if you know someone that is quite senior in your industry, very often senior people means that you, they manage a department. So they usually have visibility of people's uh, salary. So they know that actually for my marketing specialist, this is what I'm paying. So yeah. you will find someone in HR that you know, someone in your industry or someone that is senior, most of because they, they have visibility of budgets. And you will come and say to them, hey, I'm applying for a marketing specialist role within the banking industry. And I was considering um, pitching my salary at, let's say, between, I don't know, four, four and 600K uh, per annum. What do you think? Do you feel that's too high? Do you feel that's too low? So you see, I'm not asking them how much are you earning, but of course, they will probably, you know, given their knowledge and perhaps given their current income, say to you, actually, I think you're asking for too much or, you know, that's generally too low. I think you could go higher. And I find that once you do that with two or three people, you will at least start to pick up some trends. So you'll see that, okay, most people are telling me a figure between X and Y. So therefore, that, that will give you an indication that this is a fairly reasonable ballpark, right? You know, based on what people are saying. So those are some of the tactics that you can use because unfortunately, it is quite hard to, you know, to actually get, look, there are benchmarks available and most of the benchmarks that companies use, you know, they are purchased through organizations. So as an individual, it might be, hard for you to be able to access them yes okay that's quite a good tip and I I was thinking the other day that I we often don't have these money conversations or salary conversations with our peers in the same industry and I was thinking to myself why is it so taboo why can't I ask my my friend who's in the same industry how much she earns so that I can benchmark myself and not to to compare our lifestyles or whatever it is, but just to see if we are aligned because we might've started off at a different footing. Like you said, you might've been an intern earning peanuts as a start, which really affected you in the long term. but just to see, but I don't think having those conversations is easy. Why do we think it's so personal, our salaries? Absolutely. Yeah. So you're right in that, you know, it's it, we very seldom discuss even amongst close friends, right? Uh, even amongst family members. And I think part of the reason, you know, is what you alluded to. It could be a case, you know, I think it's a case where you feel that if I say my salary is X, 
someone might start to size me up or judge me or evaluate mm. me. So on the one hand, they might say, well, you earn so much, you know, how come you're driving this car or why are you not, not staying in a fancy place? Mm. Right. So that's the one end or, or in another end is to say, well, you earn so much. How come when we go out, you're not contributing more than <laughs> others, right? So there are those personal elements where someone looks at your lifestyle. And I think many of us fear that, you know, people might judge us to say, well, are you living, you know, above your means or are you being too stingy? And I think also, I guess it just feels like maybe it's a personal depiction of my value, right? Of my status, my, my social yes. status are in life. Because maybe someone who thinks highly of you might say, well, actually, she's not even getting that much. So maybe she's not as, you know, as, as. so I think yeah. those are some of the, of course, the, the personal elements. But also organizations have made it taboo. So you will exactly. find in many companies, they will have in your contract, which actually uh, I think a lot of people don't realize. So according to labor law, or and I, I stand on a correction, but it's the Employment Equity Act or the Labor Relations Act, sorry, one of the two but you as an individual are allowed to discuss any aspect or any part of your um, job, right? So whether it's salary, whether it's work conditions, et cetera, with whoever you please. But however, companies will put in your contract that you know, salaries are confidential, should not be yes, discussed. Yes, I've seen that. Um, but, but, you know, yes, when it comes to the crux, actually the, the labor law allows you to discuss any part of your salary. So I would be very, yeah, I'd be very curious if, if 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 companies are able to take that forward because you know your the rules and regulations that you put. I wonder if they actually trump or if they supersede, uh, you know, what what uh, labor what labor law says. And of course, maybe a lawyer might give input on that. But one because of that um, opaqueness around salaries and you know the tabooness where companies say you can't discuss. People have just been conditioned, you know, just from very early on to say you don't discuss salaries. And I feel that is exactly what perpetuates because I can bet you if one day salaries were made transparent within a department, within a division, I think people would get, you know, the shock of their lives because the disparities um, in in some instances not justifiable at all. And because people are not allowed to discuss it, therefore they can't. And in fact, I found that, you know, in instances where people have discovered, you know, I guess usually by accident, or maybe someone did actually disclose, you know, in a private conversation what they're earning, then you realize you're getting significantly less. It makes it quite difficult to go and put forward your case. Because in many of the instances that I guess I've dealt with or that I'm aware of, if you discover that you're getting, let's say, half or significantly less than your peer, in going to approach your employer, you obviously cannot disclose to say, well, you know, Lungile told me that she's getting, you know, 50% more and I want to know why, because of course, Lungile does not want her name to be implicated. And in an instance where you go to the company and say, hey, I'm a marketing specialist. Can I please see what the salary bank for a marketing specialist is? Because I just want to understand how I was pitched. So legally, you are allowed to discriminate, um, you know, salaries with people working in the same role based on some elements such as, you know, years of experience, qualifications, um, sometimes due to a restructure. So maybe someone was demoted or because of restructuring issues, they like, let's say, grandfather the role, et cetera. So there are legitimate reasons why people can be paid disparately. But however, it's within a band. So most companies, um, you know, will use a band to say, okay, I don't know, marketing specialist gets between 400 if you're like very junior entry level, uh, you know, maybe not as senior, then let's say if someone is doing the same job, but they've got significantly more experience, uh, you know, more qualifications, also performance. So you can discriminate. So if Lungela is performing better than Fiona, the company can justify to pay us disparately, but it's within a range. But however, what we find in companies is literally people have uh, salaries in the same role that are light years apart, you know, which, which yes. does not make sense. 
And then when you look at that criteria to say, is this person a better performer? Do they have more qualifications? Um, have they sometimes tenure as well? Have they been in the company long? When you look at those elements, you find that actually there is no viable reason um, that they're getting paid more. But the conversation becomes difficult because one, in many cases, you can't disclose how you came across that information. Sometimes maybe you, you found someone's face slip by the printer by mistake or something of that sort, right? So yeah. you can't disclose that. And when you often ask the company to say, can I see the range? Uh, usually they'll say, no, it's confidential, you know, because you are saying, well, if if it if I was being paid, you know, on based on justifiable reason, you should be able to say that, hey, this is the range for this role. And in fact, we've pegged you at mid-level or, you know, at the beginning level because, you know, you have, let's say, you know, less experience than the other individuals, et cetera. So it makes it a very difficult conversation because you don't know what you're fighting against, um, especially where you know uh, for sure that you're underpaid, but at the same time, you don't have the evidence that you can bring forward and say, I'm aware that, you know, there's this disparity and I would just like it explained to me. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I, and, I, and I think then I understand why it's such a difficult conversation to have both sides because you don't know the reasons why somebody else is earning more, like you mentioned, it could be tenure at the company or experience. Um, but let's move over to during your employment. Um, let's say now you've accepted this offer and you're one or two years into your job and you're thinking that you are due for a salary increase. And this is often a very difficult conversation to have. I know when I've had to have, have it, I had to mentally prepare myself four days before I even have it. How do you even start a conversation with your manager about increasing your salary? You are absolutely right in that this is a difficult and uncomfortable conversation for most people, not only early career professionals, literally all the way you know, across the board, so to speak. And I think it's because, you know, that just that inherent discomfort of, you know, do I, do I deserve more? Am I coming across as ungrateful, et cetera, mm-hmm. right? And, and many other reasons. So we also find just from environmental, you know, other cultural gender factors, et cetera, you know, women are less likely to, to, to go and have those conversations of asking for more money than, than male counterparts. But how do you have the conversation? So first of all, the important part is actually preparing a case. So you have to put together quite a solid case of why do I want this increase? So whether it's a significant increase or maybe in some instances, you're actually looking for an entire salary adjustment. And the best business case, so to speak, that you can bring forward is performance and achievement. So look at your goals or your key performance areas, whatever documentation that you have. And yes, you'll be very surprised that many people will say, well, I don't actually have goals. And it happens at at big companies and at small companies uh, because that's often the starting point. So if you never got goals or you never got targets uh, or KPIs, you know, key performance indicators, that's fine. Try and document the work that you have done and particularly where you have excelled or exceeded expectations. So where you've got KPIs or goals, you can say, you know, um, these are the five things that you I was set out to achieve at the beginning of the year. I have gone and let's say achieved these and I've exceeded expectations and you bring in the evidence, right? So where of course you can quantify it, you can quantify and say, I was meant to get you know, increase my clients by 20%, but I was able to exceed that and let's say get 30%, uh, you know, more than what the target was. So look for objective evidence, whether it's quantitative, it could also be qualitative, right? So qualitative could be, uh, you know, we had a very difficult relationship with this stakeholder. And because of my effort and my time, they are now become one of our biggest, you know, supporters of the business. So you could actually be qualitative where you've turned something around, which could be a process, 
it could be you know a, a task it could be you know a relationship that was yeah, strange, or you know, client with a key feedback stakeholder. i suppose yeah a client a absolutely client feedback so collect as much as you can so where you say you've met achievements or you've exceeded collect and give examples so where you can bring in your client feedback maybe it's an email that you got from a client have as much evidence as possible because of course you want to make sure that what you're saying is le less likely to be debated so if your manager wants to contest you know you can say hey here's an example and then it also shows that i've thought through this so i'm not just saying i want more money for the sake of it so prepare and have as much documentation as possible you know write it down i would encourage you to actually write it down as well so whether it is on is on a sheet and you say this was the goal this is what i did you know this is why i achieved and also in instances where you've taken on significantly more work right and we know that a lot of that sneakily happens where you know you asked okay please can you take on this project or this extra task so where you've taken on significantly more work that's also a good you know good things that to put in to say you know my my description basically required me to do these five things but i'm now doing let's say an additional four things and these are obviously significant things so it's not you know small tasks that you're doing here and there and um once you've almost like put together your case and i feel that that also gives you the confidence because remember what i mentioned earlier where people feel like what well, should do i deserve to be asking when you've documented that you can actually see that wait a minute i am actually a person that brings value i have every right to ask for more money in exchange for the value that i'm bringing on the table right i'm not just you know clutching at straws so to speak and it helps to build your confidence getting into that conversation knowing that you've got a good solid case and look whether it gets accepted or not is an you know you you don't always have control over that but at least you know that you have thought it well and you've structured it well so in terms of the timing when do you have um, this conversation yeah from a timing pers perspective ideally it's so if if you've got a cycle within your company where let's say you have a uh, performance reviews uh, right uh, and usually around performance review you know that's when people get bonuses increases etc so if you have that that's usually quite a nice good timeless uh, you know timeless um place to have that conversation and don't take it for granted you know don't say well you know salaries and increases are coming up let, let me see what i'm going to get right mm -hmm. so you can actually be proactive you know let's say if your manager is planning grant things for to give you a bonus wonderful but don't leave it to chance because they might not actually be thinking in that direction so that's usually a good time when you have your you know your year end reviews and especially when it goes into bonuses or let's say your your end review is you know it's going to take too long to come maybe it's like still 6 months away and you feel that actually i feel that i deserve to get this raise you know before i hit or ahead of that time you then you know do follow the same process of documenting what you've done and scheduling a conversation with your manager so don't let the water cooler or you know mention it in passing it must actually be a conversation that you've set aside to say i want to discuss my work my performance and of course you know the money that or i guess you know the increase that i want and of course you would typically go in with the figure so maybe you might say you know i'm asking for 30% more uh, or i'm asking so try and go in with a figure because you know if if you leave it to say i'm looking for more money you know you, you kind of leave it very open ended you can also do it when you've just completed a major project so maybe you've just landed a big client you've just you know closed off a big deal so after like a major milestone that is also often a good time for you to be able to speak uh, to your manager around this so so i guess that's what I, the tips that i can give to you in terms of timing and in terms of what goes into that conversation but more importantly it's your mindset it's your mindset because a lot of people feel that i might not be deserving i'm ungrateful but actually we need to get over this discomfort of am i going to come across as ungrateful is my manager going to think you know that i'm asking for too much 
If it is done politely, and of course with a reasonable manager, there is no reason why you should face any backlash from asking more. And in fact, you'll be very surprised that there are people out there, your other colleagues are asking for more, right? While you think yes. that, you know, we're all sitting here and waiting to, to be awarded mm-hmm. or handed down. And I would strongly encourage encourage this to be a skill that you have, right? Even if every year you ask and they say, no, that's fine. Continue being persistent and knocking on those doors. So you almost have to get in the habit because when it comes to the corporate workplace, if we wait to be awarded what we think we deserve, you know, it might or might not happen. In fact, in many cases, it's probably not going to happen, uh, you know, through luck or through chance, unless you have a really good manager who's proactive about these things. But however, your response, it's your responsibility to make sure that you are getting the best deal. And don't be afraid because, you know, you feel that they might say no. For me, even if they say no, at least your manager is now aware of what you are aiming for, right? So at the very least, you've actually, they're now aware that actually this is a person that has ambitions to increase their salary or to get the promotion, et cetera. So at least you bring the conversation to the table. And of course, you're not going to give up because you got a no uh, the first time round. Okay. And how do you deal with, with them saying no? I mean, it's obviously business as usual from the organization side, but how do you then, how, like, what do you do after that? Very good question. So look, I, I would love to tell you that even with the best case scenario, people will say yes, but mm. actually it, it doesn't always happen. And it's actually quite important to have this reflection. And this is something that I've had to do in previous jobs where it's a matter of, well, am I actually being reasonable? Because you know the harsh reality is some companies don't want to pay you because they just don't want to pay you, right? And you might find someone else in your department gets that big bump, yet you're told no. So unfortunately, bias, discrimination, and other politics exist, right? I would, I would love to say that it doesn't and everything is merit-based, but that's, you know, that's not how, how, how organizations uh, work, right? Look, of course, ideally, they should work like that, but it doesn't always happen. So if it's a case where you have tried by all means and you keep getting a no and you strongly feel that you are being undervalued or underpaid, and especially if you feel that it's more a bias issue, you know, a more politics issue, you know, doesn't actually have to do with anything. Or in some instances, perhaps the company will say, sorry, we don't have a budget, we don't have the money, etc. cetera. Uh, but what I have then found is you need to then have the conversation with yourself of, okay, do I then stick it out here or should I go where I am going to be valued, right? And that that's something that only you can answer. But unfortunately, in the instance where you're not successful, even with your best efforts. So as I mentioned earlier, you're in control of what you present, right? You're in control of how many do- doors you knock on, how much you persist. But whether they say yes or no, doesn't always have to do with how strong your case is. You're, having a strong case means that you have objectively thought about it. And of course, you're coming there with something that, you know, is, you know, shows that I do deserve this. But whether they say yes or no, there are so many factors and many of them, you know, that have got sometimes nothing to do with your business case. It could have everything to do with politics or maybe the company just doesn't have money or they don't like to do out of cycle, uh, you know, increases, et cetera. It could be many other elements. Then you need to determine that, well, am I going to stick it out and, you know, penalize myself in terms of the salary that I think I should be getting? Or should I go out there in the market and shop around and see, you know, if someone is going to give me or value me, uh, you know, the way that I feel that I deserve? And in fact, in many cases, or in some instances, you find that people have to change companies uh, to actually get what they deserve, right? And it's, it's usually quite unfortunate because organizations sometimes lose really good talent that the yeah. salary they could have bumped up, uh, you know, more so you know, for, for, for other reasons. And I think that's why it's important for you to reflect, you know, on, you know, on that case to say, look, 
have I actually done everything? Do I feel that I deserve it? Are my skills and everything? So based on your research, if you really feel that there is no justifiable reason for them saying no, then you need to, to, to actually opt uh, to see what other options do I have. Another thing that you can do if your manager says, well, you know, maybe they dispute that you deserve the, the raise. Maybe they say what you've done, you know, it does not warrant uh, an increase. Or it could be an instance where they say we don't have money or whatever other reason. You want to leave that conversation and say, well, if I then want to make sure that I get, let's say, X amount of salary bump within the next year or whatever the timeline, what do I need to do? So if they dispute your performance or your the case that you bring forward, then you say, okay, so if I'm to achieve this 30% increase, what do I need to do between now and the next six months or now and the next year, right? So get them to articulate it, uh, you know, and give you to say, well, actually, if you're saying that my case is not that strong, can you then tell me what are those steps? Because you want to show that I actually want to achieve them, right? I want to exceed your expectations. Or, you, you know, if it's a matter of, let's say, timing or budget, et cetera, you can then say to them, okay, maybe you're waiting for new budgets to be approved. Have the conversation around when can we revisit the conversation? Because you want to show them that I'm not just going to back down and, you know, disappear yeah. on this. So if they're telling you about budget, when can we revisit this? Um, can we then check in three months when you're saying is that's when the year end will be? That way, you know, so that you don't feel uncomfortable around, okay, am I nagging too much? Uh, you know, uh, what is the good spacing to bring the conversation? Get the manager themselves to say, okay, let's check again in six months or let's see in three months. And then, of course, for sure, in three months, you're going to diarize and schedule and say, we had a conversation and you told me that once budgets are approved, we could revisit this. So keep them accountable because you want to make them aware of the fact that, okay, I might accept your reason at the moment, but I am going to come back with decision. In fact, I want an opportunity to be able to earn that increase. Let's say if it's a case where they feel that you have not earned it. That's fantastic. And what I'm hearing you say really is take charge of your career and these conversations because you can't rely on other people to think about what your needs are because actually they're focusing on their own personal needs and growth as well. Absolutely. No, you're spot on. There's no one who's going to do it for you. So you, it, it's your salary sometimes is a reflection of the effort that you've made, right? So at least if you know that you've tried and they've said no, then from your side, you know, you've done you know the best to your ability. But let it not be a case where you haven't put in enough effort, you haven't been assertive enough. And I know that it's not comfortable for all of us. So don't wait for you to feel comfortable. It, it will always be an uncomfortable conversation for many people, right? But do it with the discomfort. But on the other side, you're going to feel at least more, you're going to feel, feel better at the fact that you raise the conversation, you know, irrespective of whatever it comes, than to think, well, you know what, have I been sitting on this and could I have gotten more if I was just a little bit more pushy around this issue? And sometimes it's a matter of, you know, I think that there's a statement that I like where it says, you don't always get what you deserve, you get what you negotiate, right? And some people are getting more money because they are very aggressive about negotiating their work. That's so true. This has been so insightful. Um, Fiona, this is this show is called Strip Money Conversation. So what I normally do is I ask my guests to strip down a money term that they think is often misunderstood um, by people and try and, and unpack it for us. Is there a term that is probably linked to money and careers that people often misunderstand that you can strip down for us? Absolutely. So you get this career advice around follow your passions and the money will follow, right? Mm -hmm. Which, you know, 
basically uh, advises people to you know relentlessly pursue their passions and you know somehow you know money you know if you're doing what you love the money will find you which i find to not always be the most responsible career advice and in fact not everyone's passions uh, is able to you know not everyone can turn their passions into something that is commercially viable right and by commercially viable means you can make a living out of it and in fact when i have a conversation with people especially those who feel that they're doing what they don't love and perhaps they would want to pursue their passions before we even go into anything else i have the money conversation around okay so you want to pursue your passions based on your research and of course you know with your understanding can you earn at least the same money doing your passions as you are you know doing this you know this job that you just feel uh, okay about and in many instances right especially if it's a case where there's a you know a monetary sacrifice that might come with you pursuing that passion my next question to them is often are you able to live right with less so i'm not a, obviously a financial advisor and for, for me the, the idea is not to unpack the financial aspect but just to say that finances are very often a determinant right they are a very important factor in how we choose our careers and i think many people feel conflicted because of this popular narrative of follow your passions and the money is going to come then people feel that oh wait a minute but i followed my passions and then the money didn't come or maybe i've done a plan and it's actually not commercially viable and for many of um, unless you've got maybe a trust fund right so if you're a trust <laughs> fund maybe this conversation is not for you but for majority of people it's actually very privileged career advice to tell people to follow their passions without considering the financial aspect so if it's an instance and i can assure you that majority of the cases that i deal with right especially where someone you know and the conflict is not so much you know that they are literally being chased from what they are doing their conflict is they feel that they are selling out because they are not living their passion right and you know it's following that entire narrative but very often when you take a realistic look at it it is perfectly acceptable for you to do a job that sustains your lifestyle that you know allows you to you know to fulfill your financial goals you know family goals etc at the expense of pursuing passions that do not give you you know commercial viability you know within your life unless it's something that you're willing to sacrifice so some people might say look i can go back and sleep on my mom's couch and follow this dream and that's that's okay too but i think for me we need to just be a little bit more realistic um than romanticizing the pursuit of passions without looking at the commercial element at the bottom so as i mentioned within career coaching i of course don't advise on the financial element but if it's like where they get stuck on the financial element i will then refer them to say you need to go and sort out of course you know with the right uh, professional the financial aspect because if that's going to hinder you from getting into your passion right you need to then see what does that look like do i have savings what can i do etc um but yeah i think for me that's that's an important consideration so don't feel bad if what supports your life is not necessarily your passion because you feel that you know there's something wrong with that it's not for many people they are not able to follow their passions and that is perfectly acceptable as well that's amazing um fiona if people want to get in touch with you book a session with you where can they find you you can go on to my website fionamartin.com and that's fiona spelled with a p h uh not not an f and all my links to my i guess how to contact me as well as my different social media are available there it's been really great to connect with you and learn about your world i've learned so much already and i think for me also as a manager myself in my other life um when i'm not podcasting i think it's very important to foster that environment where 
there can be dialogue and putting employees first and making sure that those critical conversations are had with ease. So yeah, thank you for your insights. I think my listeners are going to love today's episode. Thank you so much, Lungile. It was really great chatting with you. Thank you so much for your time. You have been listening to an episode of Stripped Money Conversations. Please share the love by subscribing to this podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And let me know what you thought of this show on social media. Just search Strip Money Conversations on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have topic suggestions, please slide into my DM and let's see if we can make it happen. Have a good day.